Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. If you need help keeping track, today is Thursday, January 21st. The month is just flying by. Can't believe it. And with us today, we have Sean Durbin from the Decatur County Health Department. How are you today, sir? I'm good, Jody. Good morning. How are you doing? I am great, thank you. Sunshine day, I believe, in the forecast. Can't complain about sunny days in January. That's exactly right. We've had a we've had a nice stretch of really nice weather here, so it hasn't even seemed like January. I I'm with you. Kind of, I have to say, and you probably know this more than anyone in in the area is that COVID makes me feel like all the months have just kind of merged into one really, really, really long month. <laughs> yes, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like. Just like winter, spring is just around the corner. Um, would you say the same thing with numbers, at least COVID-wise? I do feel like, um, you know, spring is around the corner on COVID. Uh, we, I love that analogy. You know, we're getting some people vaccinated. We're getting, you know, we could do a lot more, but we just don't have the vaccine right now. But um, we are ready to start receiving more vaccines so we can expand our vaccination clinic here in Decatur County, Decatur County Memorial Hospital is in a vaccination clinic. And between the two of us, we've vaccinated over 2,000 people with over about 243 of those um, having had both doses. So we're really excited about that. We want to get this vaccine out there. We want to get people vaccinated. We want to get back to our normal lives. We want to make sure people's businesses stay open. You know, how nice it would it be to be able to go and sit down in a restaurant inside? It would be, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely, same. And to be able to sit next to somebody that you don't live with at a movie theater sounds amazing. Um, all of those things. That's right. And you know, I think that's one of the, the most important things that we need to realize with this vaccine. This helps us get back to all those things, and that helps our local businesses that have suffered so much through this whole pandemic. And we want to make sure that you know, we're giving them the support they need and, and we're able to get this vaccine so we can go to the movies. I mean, I don't know how movie theaters have even managed to stay open through this. It's had to have been a tremendous struggle for them um, and, and the restaurants and all the other businesses. Even, even um, I've had several people we vaccinated when we did the over 80. I had a lady say to me, you know, I can't wait to be able to go back and get my hair done. So some of those little things that we just kind of take for granted that people aren't able to do, we're going to get back to that if we can get enough people vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. All those things that we miss and we love and we complain that we don't get to do yet, um, it's it's just around the corner. Now, you mentioned right. something really important there, and that is you, the health department did have a vaccination clinic. So currently right now, you guys are not taking appointments because you are waiting on more vaccine. Is that correct? Well, yes, although the state, they, they take care of our appointments um, through the website, which is ourshot.in.gov. That's O-U-R-S-H-O-T dot I-N dot gov. And um, openings are occurring all the time. So if we are completely booked out today, look tomorrow and see what might be available. Um, or, again, look at Decatur County Memorial Hospital. This is not also just um, county specific. So if you have the means to get to another county, by all means, look at around on that uh, vaccine registration site. If everything's full in Decatur County, but um, what, 
if if Batesville has if Margaret Mary has openings, go there. If Ripley County Health Department has openings, go there. Um, look around. Look at surrounding counties if you have the ability to travel to those. Yeah, super important to make sure um, if you're able to register and, and get that vaccine that you go to whichever one you can um, that has availability for sure. Now, we get a lot That's of right. questions um, asking from concerned citizens, you know, their parents or their loved ones are in a in a nursing home um, and they might not have received the vaccine yet. Um, do you guys have any control over that? We don't. That is actually all handled by um both private contractors and the state of Indiana. So CVS and Walgreens have contracted with long-term care facilities to make sure that the residents are getting the vaccine and probably struggling with some of the same things we are in that vaccine availability right now just is not there. Um, We were counting on some increases in that. um, The state distributes that, but it is distributed to the state by the federal government. And we thought there was going to be a, a big release of vaccine here and now we're being told that um, quite the opposite that one of the vaccines is probably going to have to cut back until the end of January on the amount that they are releasing. So uh, we're a little disappointed in that but we are of course still excited to be getting the vaccine out and hopefully in answer to your question there the long-term care facilities will start getting this and we'll get get more of them vaccinated. They're highly uh, important population that we need to get vaccinated because, as everybody knows, if this gets into a long-term care facility, the results can be devastating. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And and with that, speaking of des- devastation, um, you, Decatur County experienced a really, really large uptick in the amount of deaths that were occurring between Christmas and 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 now. Can you talk to us about? Um, Was there anything that stood out from those? Well, again, and it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about there. Unfortunately, most of those deaths did occur in long-term care facilities. Um, We've had some very, very tragic weeks here. Um, You're right. Our our numbers increased. We unfortunately have the notorious distinction of being the highest per capita death rate in Indiana. Um, It's just, uh, it's very very, very tragic that uh, this has occurred. But the problem is once we get this into a long-term care facility, it spreads like wildfire. Again, it's such a vulnerable population um, that the the death rate among 65 and over is actually 93.3% of the deaths we've had in Indiana occur in that age range. And of course, most of the people in a long-term care facility fit that age range. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and even if they aren't in that age range at a long-term care facility, they certainly are there um, for some ailment that probably still puts them in a high-risk category. That's that's right. They're, it's just a vulnerable population. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so with that, numbers are improving. Um, but if you had any advice to give to the public on um, how to continue to keep improving, what would you say? Just keep doing what we're doing with, you know, wear your masks, stay away from mass gatherings, wash your hands, stay six feet away. The same things we've been saying since March of last year still apply. And as we're seeing this uh, new strain of COVID that's going around, it does appear to be even more contagious. 
um, the vaccine is effective against it. So that's good news. But we have got to keep doing the preventative measures that we have been doing to make sure that we continue to see this decline that we're actually seeing in the state. We see more and more counties going back to orange from red. Last week's red numbers looked terrible. There were only 19 counties that were orange. This week, I haven't even counted them. But it's surprisingly a lot less that are in the orange category. So, you know, we're very hopeful that that trend continues and um, we see cases go down. We just, you know, we are concerned this this new strain has been seen in Indiana. So it spreads like wildfire. We don't want that to happen here. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. We want to we want to go back to that norm. We're ready for spring. That's right. If you don't mind, can you give that vaccination information again one more time for anybody that might not know it? Of course, it's our shot. That's O-U-R-S-H-O-T, all one word, dot I-N, dot gov. Those without computer access or who don't feel comfortable signing up on the computer can call 211. They have operators who are trained to do this. I know there might be a wait time, but just continue to wait uh, is probably your best bet. Or calling the evenings, I've heard, is a much easier way to get in. I'm sure when they open this to the 60 and over that those lines will get overwhelmed again. We're working at the health department to, to work on actually being able to help some people locally get signed up. So uh, when I have that information, I will send that to you as well. And uh, we want to get people registered. We want to get shots in the arms. Absolutely. Sounds like a good plan. Well, thank you so much, Sean. And when we return, we're going to take a short break here. And when we return, we're going to talk to Franklin County Prosecutor Chris Hercamp. And we're back. If you've just tuned in, now we're speaking with Chris Herkamp, the Franklin County prosecutor. We're going to speak today about the Labor Day fatal shooting that occurred in Franklin County. Because the investigation did not lead to formal charges, Chris is able to speak with us openly about the case. Could you tell us about not prosecuting the fatal shooting from September? First of all, <laughs> common sense, um, when you have facts like that, <laughs> Before you're even a lawyer, you know, you, certain things you just know are like, you know, that's not a murder when somebody's holding your mom at knife point and threatening to go like a pig and strangling her. When you shoot somebody, that's, that's not, you know, murder, or reckless homicide or anything. But, I mean, really, you got to look at things coldly from a legal standpoint. Um, I think I cited the statute there. You know, under Indiana law, um, a, a homicide or, or the use, what I, actually the more specific way to say it is the use of force, whatever use of force that is, is justifiable, meaning um, that it's, it, it's an absolute defense to any, any charge um, when, and you don't have to back off first. There used to be, in some states, that you first had to try to get away before you could use, like, you know, a person could use deadly force. Um, but if you, you know, step part one is a person is justified in using deadly force, which in this case, um, you know, shooting someone with a, with a 12 gauge in the chest would certainly be considered deadly force. But you don't have it. You don't have to back off if the person reasonably believes that that deadly force is necessary to prevent serious bodily injury to to the person themselves or a third person or the commission of a forcible felony. So that's you know, basically the doctrine of self-defense and the doctrine of defense of others, which mean, mean you know, you put, you put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And in this case, I mean, um, 
it, it certainly that was probably the only force. I mean, between you, you ought to see this, this kid is you. Benny Flannery is a really big, mean, and scary guy. Okay, mm-hmm. I know it. I prosecuted him. Um, I know what he's capable of. I, I can't even believe he was out of prison when he was. I think I put something like 27 years on him in 2012 or 2013 or 14, whenever it all went down. Um, I don't know how he got all his credit time and, and, and was released. That was one of the shocking things to me. But um, this, there, when you have somebody like that um, acting the way that he was and against two basically defenseless people, um, there, there was no way to persuade him. I mean, this kid had no other option, really. Um, You know, I guess you could say you could have called the police, but I don't think he even had time to think about that. And by the time, even as great as Batesville police is and even as responsive as they are, by the time they got there, whatever would have happened would have all been over anyway. Yeah, and you said the actions of the the child involved really left an impression on you. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, like a a kid is nothing but a hero. He's a hero. I I, I think I, I can remember when I got the phone call, you know, Labor Day morning talking with the, with the Batesville officers and Chief Holt, and he agreed with me right away, and I just, I said, sounds to me like we don't have a suspect, sounds to me like we have a, we have a hero. Um, and obviously, you know, it was, everything seemed to very strongly point in that direction the day of, but you still want the investigation to be, you know, completely thorough, um, and have a chance to play itself out and make sure that there's not something that they missed. And uh, that's not at all what happened. If anything, everything, everything that was later discovered and determined only confirmed um, what was pretty evident from the scene of the crime. Um, but this kid, I mean, you know, a lot of people can watch a movie or, or they, they see a story on the news and say, I know what I would have done if that had happened to me. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have done this. I would have done blah, blah. You don't know when something like this is going to happen. You know, it's the same as if somebody in, like, a bar fight says, oh, I wouldn't let him do that to me. It's like these things break out when you're you're least expecting them. Um, Although there was, in this case, and I think that the the fighting, the yelling, I don't know how how physical it always was, but I think think the fighting and yelling had been escalating in that that apartment for a while, Um, kind of the ugliness there. And this kind of was a whole new level um, for the kid and his mom. And but there's no way to for somebody nobody expects they're going to get woke up out of a dead sleep on a holiday to you know somebody holding your mom up like that saying they're going to get you and the fact that this kid reacted and he actually gave I mean he gave Flannery a chance to let her go and walk away and and I mean he didn't just come out he didn't just come out firing he he tried to to do what he could to de-escalate the situation, I guess, although it's probably, you know, not, not what the young man would call it. And um, Mr. Flannery clearly wasn't interested in de-escalating. I, maybe he maybe he thought in his mind, I don't know what he was thinking in his mind, to be honest with you. Maybe he was thinking, oh, this kid didn't get it, you know, he didn't have the guts. or, But it did basically what he had to do. And I, I, I really, I honestly think if you, I, I, it has too much, identifying information, but if you heard the 911 call afterwards, I mean, these people were in, in shock. They were in terror. They couldn't believe what had just all happened. Yeah, I'm sure it was 100% unimaginable. Um, and I also imagine, you know, as a prosecutor, you see these kinds of cases, maybe not to this extreme, come across your desk. 
uh, maybe all too often in Franklin County. Um, do you have any advice for anyone in this situation for the future? Well, sure. You know, I, and you're right. I mean, I, I, I've been doing this. Uh, I've been a prosecutor for almost 15 years now, both in Cincinnati and here. I've seen all kinds of cases and, and in both places. I don't ever remember one quite like this. I mean, this people people do fight back and 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 things like that. But I mean, in terms of this, this is a very I mean that this kid and I have, having had experience prosecuting Mr. Flannery and and, and um, knowing you know what a scary guy he is. Um, <laughs> what this kid was faced with the fact that he he went and defended his mother i mean that that's the most to me that's the most compelling thing about this story his mom i mean she's in this she's in this he called it a toxic relationship she's in this toxic relationship she's a nice person you know she's a single mother doing what she can to get by i I think at the time the kid was the the kid the 17 year old i don't know i can't remember this is in the reporter one of the officers told me He's the only he's the only person living there who has a steady job, and he's going to high school, hmm. and he just wants to be left alone. He's a total non troublemaker as a kid, um, just trying to get by, you know, and having to deal with that every day, and you know he he protects his mother like that, which wouldn't which under the circumstances would have, would have had to have been terrifying, and I'm sure he's not just you know. It, it's gonna. He's gonna have to deal with this for for some time, and the protection of of the victim that he stood up um, and protected his mother is what's so compelling to me in such a fashion against such a person. I mean, you can look up his criminal history on DOC. This guy's no joke. Um, this this guy wasn't you know just some idiot who had a couple of DUIs. This guy's been to prison many times. Prison for long, not for just three, six-month stretches either. For We're talking about, you know, a handful, half dozens worth of years in prison and went back. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't see a lot of cases like that where, where, the, where you know, the, the truth is just so much more compelling than, than anything you can ever see, like, on TV or in a movie. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in terms of other people, yeah, you know, this year... Domestic violence, I'm sure it's up. This, this year has been, past year has been so awful for everybody. Um, I, I think the, the number one thing I would say is, you know, don't. It's easy for me to say, and every domestic violence case is different. Every 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 case I get involves a different family from a different set of circumstances that led up to the point that a report involving them got to my desk. And you know, each case has its own. You got to handle these uniquely because whatever you decide to do on these kind of cases, you know they have to live with the results. The family does, um, whether it means somebody, you know, remember that family has to go to jail or whether they have to try to, you know, work things out. But there's, there's, ne- it's never okay to commit. Maybe I'm old school. It's never okay to commit violence against a woman if you're a man. It's never okay um, to terrorize your family or the people living in your house to, to try to get what you want. But the most important thing, I guess, is to you know, let your voice be heard. Make a report. Follow through. Follow through on the truth. I can always handle the truth. You know, a lot of times we have cases where I'll get these affidavits from victims that, that are produced by defense attorneys where they say, nothing. no, it didn't happen now. 
and, and it's like and they're sworn. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, why? You know, I can. If the truth is that it happened, but that you want to try to move on as a family, hey, we can talk about that. But follow through, tell the truth, and and we can, you know, we can always work through. As long as we know what the truth is, we can always try to seek justice as a result. And justice on each of those cases is admittedly going to look different because everybody's family is a little bit different. Yeah, that's but, certainly. You know, these, these days, this past year, there's no, there is, I mean, there's often no escape, but this year, and especially, where else are you going to go if your house is an ugly place to be, if your house is a violent place to be? I mean, there is no outlet. You can't, kids can't go to school. They can't go out and play sports. Mm. You can't, I mean, it, so I'm sure, I, I don't have any scientific studies that back this up, but I mean, think about how much of that has been magnified over the last 10 months. Sure, absolutely. I, Safe Passage has reported, you know, it's over yeah. 100% since last year in, in the number of cases in the area. Yeah, I mean, people have lost their jobs, so they're, they're, they're not financially able to, to split up with a, with a husband, or even if he's abusive, who's a breadwinner. I mean, the opportunities aren't there. I, it, it's, oh, it, it's, there's a lot, this, you know, whether you agree with, with what has happened or not with the lockdowns and all that, you can't argue with the fact that it has thrown people, the people that have suffered the most are the people that can afford to the least. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. It, it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to argue that, there, that this is one of many societal costs and in, in, in small communities where opportunities are few anyway. Um, and, you know, yeah, there's just nowhere else to go. <laughs> Where do you go to get away from it? You know, thank God for safe passage. Yeah, they're uh, a wonderful asset to the community for sure. Tune in tomorrow for the second edition of our discussion on domestic violence with safe passage. We'll be speaking with Detective Jamie Straber as well as speaking with Carrie Ketman again.